Tonight, you need to come hang out with us. All right, let's hang out together Friday. What do you say? Okay, this Friday night at Forest Theater, uh, right on campus, the outdoor theater that's there, uh, we're going to have a worship night as a church together. Um, but it's not just for our church. It's for all the entire community. Um, it's for people to come together and to celebrate who God is. Um, it's for, for you to bring your friends to um, so that they can see the compelling and drawing love of Jesus Christ, be, to experience that um, and, and, and to be drawn into that. Um, so we would really encourage you guys to be there, first of all. And on your way out today, um, we're going to give uh, out some cards. Take a stack of cards with you, okay? And take them to where you work. Leave them where you work, wherever you're going to lunch today. Leave them there. Put them up. Uh, you know, if you live in a dorm, put them up there. If you're part of a campus ministry, maybe take some to hand out there. Um, just let's, let's get the word out on this, okay? And um, come together and, and worship together on Friday night. It's going to be a really, really cool time, and uh, I'm very pumped about it. So we'd love to have you guys be a part of it. Cool? Sweet. That's a commitment. You're in now. All right? Okay, cool. Good. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for the sweetness of your presence this morning. Um, thank you for making us awake to your presence that is already here, that is always around us every place that we go. Um, we cannot go to any corner of the world and, and, and not find you there. You are alive everywhere. And I pray that you would help us to have our hearts and our minds open to that this morning. As we study the, the life of Elijah again this morning, um, I pray that we would be convicted by what we hear, but we would be really challenged through what we hear today. Um, and that your spirit would shape and direct us. And so we surrender ourselves to you this morning, right from the start. And we say, we are yours. We are yours. Direct us, teach us, encourage us, build us up, break us down. Whatever it is, so be it. We are yours. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week, um, we began this study in the life of Elijah. We're talking about this, this passage from the book of James in chapter 5, where it makes this very strange statement, right? Where often we say we want to be like our heroes, but the Bible kind of turns the table on us there with that. And it reminds us that our heroes are just like us. And it says this about Elijah. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. And that's a puzzling thing. Especially when we look at his life and we see the way that his life and his ministry are just marked by miracles over and over again. And we say, you're, you're telling me that Elijah was, was just like us. There had to be something special and different about him. But as we began his story last week, the thing that we came to is this. The thing that sets Elijah apart was the fact that his heart and his life was completely surrendered to God. And it was completely surrendered to God, and God used that surrender to do incredible things and, and to turn the heart of a nation back to him. It's a beautiful thing. And, and so we can, we can grab a hold of that, and we can be challenged in that ourselves, to be surrendered, to live lives that are fully surrendered to God, that no matter what God wants to do with us, our response is simple. It's one prayer, and that is so 
be it. So be it. And we talked about the idea that, that, that Elijah the prophet is more than a man with a message. All right? he's, he's there to be more than a proclaimer of a message. But he's also a protagonist in the story that God is writing. And each of us is invited to live that same way as well. To let our lives be the compelling story of what God is wanting to do and what God is up to in the world. Every one of us, every one of us can step into that kind of life, can live that kind of life. Elijah was incredibly special, but he was just like us. and His life was surrendered to God, and that is what sets him apart. Today, we pick his story back up in the very next chapter in verse 18. It says that three years have actually passed from where we, where we left Elijah last week, okay? And remember, the environment into which Elijah was stepping to, to proclaim this message of God Ahab is king of Israel. Ahab is taken as his wife Jezebel, who is the daughter of a neighboring king. And it's kind of this political alignment, right? But what has happened in that is that Jezebel introduces Israel to Baal worship and begins to turn Israel's heart away from Yahweh, the true God, and begins to to lead them in worshiping Baal. And so the the environment is shifting here. But something has changed since the last time we we stepped into this. Over three years, the environment has changed. It's not only become an an uncomfortable environment for those who believe and worship Yahweh, but it's also become a dangerous environment because Jezebel has systematically hunted down and put to death the prophets of Yahweh. Systematically hunted down and put to death the prophets of Yahweh. The culture has shifted beneath their feet. It has completely changed on them. And now it is not only an uncomfortable environment in which to be a worshiper of Yahweh, it is now a very violent and dangerous environment in which to be a worshiper of Yahweh. And it's into this moment that Elijah steps back up. For three years, God has protected him. God has kept him hidden away. God has provided for him, even through this three-year drought that he said was going to come, that the clouds would close up, there would be no more rain. And over this three-year drought, God has provided for his needs, but has also protected him from the wrath of Jezebel. Now he comes back, willingly stepping into it. God tells him, go back and present yourself to Ahab. Go back and present yourself to Ahab. Now, last week, um, when he first presents himself to Ahab, he first steps onto the scene. And our first introduction to him is, you know, Elijah was a prophet and he shows up and he says, no more rain for three years. Right. And we said that that the message was not just, hey, listen, it's not going to rain. It's deeper than that. The thing is that Baal was the God of fertility, God, the God who provided the harvest and the God who brought forth the crops. And in a, in, a, in a society that leaned heavily on agriculture, that was important, right? And so as they're worshiping this God of the harvest, who also as a way of bringing out the harvest controls the weather, the God of the rain, Yahweh says no more rain for three years. It's not just a proclamation of no more rain. It's deeper than that. The proclamation is this. Yahweh is God and Baal is not. Yahweh is God and Baal is not. So now Elijah comes back 
and he's got a new message, and he's got a new way of proving that Yahweh is God and Baal is not. So he comes to Ahab and he says, listen, get together all of the prophets of Baal and get together all of the prophets of Asherah, another God that they were worshiping. Bring them all together. Bring the people of Israel all together and meet me on Mount Carmel. And we are going to see who the real God is. Now, this is basically the ancient Middle Eastern equivalent of meet me on the playground after school. Okay. So he's like, listen, this is it. I'm calling you out. Let's settle this once and for all. Come and meet me there. Do you have the courage to show up? And they showed up. Elijah was there and the prophets of Baal came and the people of Israel all came and Ahab is there and Jezebel is there and they are watching intently to see what is going to happen. And in the midst of that, here's what Elijah says to the people. It's in verse um, 21. Elijah went before the people, the people of Israel, and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. The people said nothing. So Baal, I mean, so, whoa, whoa, that's really messed up. Elijah, all right, calls them out and he says this. How long are you going to jump back and forth, dance back and forth between these two opinions? Either Yahweh is God and you should follow him or Baal is God and you should follow him. But quit dancing back and forth. Make up your minds. It's a really interesting information and insight that we're given through this statement from Elijah. So what it seems that is happening here is not that Israel has completely abandoned the worship of Yahweh. But instead, they've just added the worship of Baal. Okay, so they continue to worship Yahweh, but now they're dancing back and forth. They're also worshiping Baal. Here's the thing about idolatry that Elijah reveals for us in this. Idolatry is not just the worship of something instead of Yahweh. It's also the worship of something in addition to Yahweh. And so the people who are worshiping Yahweh and yet worshiping Baal at the same time were guilty of the sin of idolatry. Idolatry was alive in their lives because you can't do both. You can't do both. It just will not do. It will not do. Here's the thing about idolatry, all right? You're probably thinking, listen, if we're going to talk about like specific sins in here, we should probably pick something that's a little more relevant to our time, right? I mean, not a lot of people probably with little idols that they're hiding away that they go and they pray to and and that kind of thing, right? Idolatry is is kind of this sin that's for a more superstitious time and, 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 and different parts of the world. And for us here, in this like sophisticated culture that we live in, this enlightened culture that we live in, this is not really a problem, right? So if I was to list like a bunch of sins, just go through the list, there would be some that when I said the sin, it would probably sting you a little bit. And you'd be like, yeah, that's, that's probably me. If I'm honest, that's, that's me, right? But if I said idolatry, very few of you would be like, hit it. All right, nail on the head right here, you know? hey, Matt, can we meet later this week and we can go down to Caribou? I just need to talk a little bit about my worship of of false idols, okay? Right? Not happening very often, right? 
But that's the, that's the trick, and that's the disguise of idolatry, is it's far more simple than we think that it is. It's not just like allegiance to a religious system and institution that is false, okay? It's, it's not just ritualistic prayers to an odd little idol somewhere. It's far more simple and subtle and therefore sinister than that. Idolatry is simply this. It is misdirected love or misplaced trust. That's it. That's it. Idolatry is as simple as putting faith in the wrong thing. Putting your hope and your faith in the wrong thing. Where do you put your faith? Where do you put your faith? Do you put it in Yahweh, but also this? Idolatry. That's idolatry. That's what it is. That's what it is at its root. Misdirected love, misplaced trust, faith, and hope in the wrong thing. Alcohol addiction, drug addiction, misplaced love. It's misplaced love. Pornography misplaced love, a desire that is directed in the wrong place. Our obsession with how we look, misplaced hope, misplaced hope and trust. Our obsession with our status, our obsession with that next job opportunity, our obsession with the score that comes back to us on the assignment that we just completed our career that we are piecing together and we've got those next steps up there and this is what's going to make it for me, my hope and my faith, I'm putting it in this. Idolatry. That's idolatry. And every one of us is guilty of it. Every one of us is guilty of it. Misplaced hope, misplaced trust, faith in the wrong things. Faith in the wrong things. Parents, are you obsessed with the success of your children, making sure they're getting into the right schools and making the right friends and setting up their lives for the right things. Watch out. Watch out. Students, you need to be pouring yourself into your work. That's why you're here, all right? Pour yourself into your work. Don't waste this incredible opportunity you've been given, but be careful. Be careful about where you're placing your faith and where you're placing your hope. If you're a professional and you're obsessed with that career advancement, be careful. Check yourself. Let the Holy Spirit check you and ask you continually, where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your faith? Because it's not only worshiping something instead of or hoping in something instead of Yahweh. It's also in addition to. And that's part of what the people were guilty of. So it goes on from here, okay? After he makes this statement and he tells them, stop jumping back and forth between, then he lays down the challenge and he says, here's how we're going to prove who is God, whether it's Yahweh or Baal. He says, prophets of, Yah- uh, prophets of Baal, get together, build your altar, take a sacrifice and, and, and prepare the sacrifice and I will do the same thing. And here's how we'll determine, which is real, Okay. Whichever God answers the prayer by fire and lights the sacrifice, that God is the real God. 
Now, when he said this, the people weren't like, oh, that's going to be hard. All right. Oh, that's tough. No, they're like, sweet. That's us. Okay. That's us. Because if Baal is the God who controls the weather, then he's the God of thunder and lightning, the God of fire falling from heaven. Right. This is right in his wheelhouse here. Okay. This is like, this is his home court. And so it's set up for their success. It's set up for them to be successful. And so they're excited. And it says that their response when Elijah says that is, what you say is good. This is a good idea. Let's do it. And so they begin. And they start, it says, early in the morning. And they begin their prayers and they're going through their rituals. And it says they're dancing around the altar and they're praying and they're shouting out and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And And there's a lot of motion going on and zero movement. All right? Nothing from Baal. Nothing. It's silent. It's silent. It says they pray from morning all the way to noon. And at noon, the silence is broken. But it's not by Baal. It's from Elijah standing over the side saying, pray a little louder. Right? And he starts to mock them. Okay? And he's like, oh, maybe he just can't hear you. Okay? And it goes through this thing. And, he, and, and Elijah says to him, maybe he's out traveling somewhere and he'll be back soon. Just be patient. Okay? And goes through this. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he just needed a little bit of rest. Quit, you know, just shout a little bit louder and you'll, and you'll wake him up. And then he says, maybe he's busy. Okay? Maybe he's busy. I'm not going to go really into exactly what that means. But it is intentionally degrading of Baal, all right, intentionally degrading of him as if, as in like, uh, Baal can't come to the phone right now, he's busy, okay, ancient Hebrew like air quotes, okay, he's busy <laughs> right now, all right, and so it goes through all of this, and, and their response is that they do cry louder, they shout louder, and it says that they take swords, and they take spears, and they begin to slash themselves, hoping that Baal will take notice of them, And they injure themselves. And as this is happening, the people of Israel have to be sitting there with their wheels starting to turn. They remember who Yahweh is. They remember the stories of his faithfulness. And they say, Yahweh is not a God who doesn't hear prayers. Our entire history is a history of of Yahweh hearing our prayers. Yahweh is not a God who is out traveling somewhere and so can't be reached. Yahweh says that he will never leave us nor forsake us and he will live with us. And Yahweh is not the God who asks us to slash ourselves in order to get his attention. But instead, he's the God who comes to our rescue while the line is being drawn and the division is being seen. Their wheels have to be turning at this. And so they've tried and they've tried. And finally, it comes to the evening all day long. And now it's Elijah's turn. And he says, okay, guys, if you're done, maybe I can have a shot at it now. Okay. So he comes and he sets up the, the, the altar. It says that he rebuilds the altar of the Lord that had been left in ruins there for lack of use. He rebuilds it. He takes 12 stones and he stacks them to remind them of the 12 tribes of Israel that God had called by name and had been faithful to through the generations. And he takes the sacrifice and he puts the wood and he puts the the sacrifice on it, preparing it. Then he does something else too. He says, now I want you to dig a trench 
around it. They dig this deep trench around it. And he says, go get me four jars, large jars of water and pour it on the sacrifice. And they do. They soak the sacrifice. Now, this is the thing that's going to have to catch on fire, okay? But Elijah is stacking the odds against himself here. And they pour it. He says, you know what? Do it again. They do it again. Hey, guys, do it a third time. Let's just be sure here. They do it a third time. It says that water is pouring off of the sacrifice to the point that it's filled up the trench that has been dug around it. Now, get the picture. Three years of drought. Everything is dusty and dry except the one thing that you need to catch on fire. That's drenched and dripping wet, okay? Incredible. The the odds are stacked against Elijah. The odds are stacked against Yahweh here. And Elijah says, there are 450 prophets of Baal, and yet I am alone. I am alone. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like you were completely outnumbered? Have you ever felt completely outnumbered? Think back middle school, man. It's like, like dodgeball time, right? And one by one, your team has been picked off. And you're looking across the line at the kid who, who's in like seventh grade, but he drove himself to school that day and he's got a full-fledged mustache and he's holding the dodgeball, right? And you're like, this is not good, okay? Um, or, or maybe for me, I think of, I think of sixth grade when uh, it was Halloween and I showed up at school with my costume, like really pumped, man. But somehow I missed the memo that that apparently ends at fifth grade, all right? I'm the only kid in the class with a Halloween costume on, right? alone (laughs) right seriously but at least it was like a cool outfit no i was a california raisin okay (laughs) trash bag right (laughs) but i stuck with it dude i wore that thing all day all right even in in pe dodging dodgeballs right right cool bing okay um so have you ever felt like that like felt completely outnumbered, felt completely alone, maybe even the memory of it, like your face is starting to get warm just thinking about it. Maybe it's something a little more serious, like you can remember when you're at work and the conversation starts to turn in a different direction. And you see where it's going and you realize, I can't go there and this is about to get really, really lonely for me. Or maybe you're sitting in class and the professor is going on and on about how your faith is ridiculous and how you're pretty much, you know, just a simple-minded person for believing in it. You start to look around, am I by myself? And you see every other head nodding in agreement with what's being said. Have you ever felt alone and outnumbered? Well, this is a story for those who are alone and who are outnumbered. Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal, the people of Israel standing around watching to see what's going to happen, the king Ahab that he cannot trust, the queen Jezebel who wants him dead and has already put to death the other prophets of Yahweh like him. 450 to 1. And he looks over at the altar and is completely drenched and soaking wet. And that's what he needs to light on fire. 450 to 1. And God leans in and whispers in his heart, I like our chances right now. I like our chances. Watch this. Amazing. Fire 
falls from heaven. When, when Elijah prays the simplest prayer, one prayer and the simplest prayer and fire falls from heaven and it consumes everything. All right. It doesn't just light the sacrifice on fire. It consumes the sacrifice. It's gone. And it doesn't just consume the sacrifice. It takes the wood. It's gone. And it takes the altar. It's gone. And it says that even the water in the trench is licked up and gone. Nothing. Nothing is left. And no doubt is left either over who is God. Yahweh is God and Baal is not. Yahweh comes onto Baal's home court deals with his own stuff. All right, you want it fire from heaven? Let's do this. He comes onto his own home court and he blows the door off the place, right? This is like going into Cameron on senior night and running the score up on him, okay? That's what this is right here. Amazing. Odds stacked against him. He blows it away. He blows it away. He blows it away. Incredible. And in this, in this symbol of fire, we see the intensity of the power of God, but we see something more than that too. Because all the way through Scripture, here's what the prophets of Baal didn't realize Yahweh is the God of fire as well. All right? He's the God of fire as well. And throughout Scripture, we see that He shows up often in fire and He makes Himself known through fire. It reveals the intensity of His power, but it also reveals, and more importantly, the intensity of His presence. This is a God who is close. This is a God who is close. This is a God who hears and a God who answers. This is who he is. Incredible, incredible. A great story of faith, a compelling story of faith, an amazing story. What a great way for the story to end. Incredible. Except those of you who maybe know the story a little bit or have your Bibles in front of you. Maybe you cheated and you read ahead a little bit. And at the end, there's this verse in verse 40. It says that after the fire fell and it was consumed, that at the command of Yahweh, the 450 prophets of Baal were put to death. Now, why did you have to end it like that, right? Why can't you just leave it with the display of power and this incredible display of who God is? Why do you have to go and do that and leave us all confused over why that has to happen? Why? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Here's the thing. In this church, we will never promise to you that we have all of the easy and clean answers for everything. But we will do our very best to not avoid the hard and the messy questions that we come up against so let's look at this for just a second as we wrap up this morning this is tough this is difficult and it kind of changes the whole story for us a little bit doesn't it but here's the thing here's the thing about it all the way through scripture we see that god is a god of justice god is a god of justice and because he's a holy god of justice sin must be judged Sin must be judged. But there's more to the story than that. He's not only a God of justice, he's also a God of mercy. And when judgment comes, he also provides a rescue. And we see that same thing happen in this story. As as the fire falls, what do the people of Israel do? What is their response? They shout out, Yahweh is God. The Lord is God. And their hearts are turned 
back to him. And we look even at the prayer that Elijah prays. And it says this, it's a two-part prayer. First of all, he says, let, let answer by fire so that it will be known today that you are God in Israel, that you alone are God. But it also says this, and let them know that you are turning their hearts back again. That you are turning their hearts back again. This is the God who is drawing our hearts back to him. And yes, sin must be judged, but also he's a God of mercy and he provides rescue and he gives us the opportunity to let our hearts be turned back to him. Where justice and mercy collide in the overlap is his love. And there's no more beautiful image of that than the cross itself. When the son of God, when Jesus Christ, God incarnate, stretches out on the cross and is put to death. That's where we see what God's love looks like. Because in that moment, we see sin is being judged. But in his mercy, he takes the judgment upon himself. He takes the judgment upon himself. And there's no more beautiful picture of love than that. That is who he is. Now, Elijah's message up to this point had been Yahweh is God, Baal is not. Now there's an addition to that message. Yahweh is God and he wants you. And he wants you. And he is drawing your hearts back to him. I don't know where you are in your relationship with him today, but I do know this. He is drawing your heart back to him him yes he's a god of justice he's also a god of mercy and the two collide and in that we see his love for us the most beautiful picture of his love the cross is to draw us back to him to turn our hearts back to him so that we can receive forgiveness of our sin and that we can be brought into relationship with him he is god and he alone is god but the message doesn't end there. He wants you. He wants you. And he is doing everything he can to draw you back to himself. Father, thank you for this incredible story of your power, but also of your presence. Of how deeply, how deeply you love us. You are the God who leaves no doubt as to who you are. And a part of that picture of who you are is that you want us, that you are drawing us. God, I pray that we will be convicted by this story, that the idols that we have in our lives, our, our, our eyes will be open to those and we would see the places where we're not necessarily worshiping something instead of you, but we are giving our dedication and our hearts to something in addition to you. And I pray that you would call us on that this morning and help us. God, I pray that you would reveal just like you did and just like Elijah prayed, that you would reveal who you are, that people this morning, today would see who you are. But we pray that second part as well and that they would see that you are turning our hearts back to you. Turn our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.